Well, good morning, Grace family. It's so good to be here. Nice to see you. It may be cold, it may be chilly outdoors, but boy, it is warm in here, and I don't think it's only because somebody cranked the temperature up. Isn't there a warmth? What an incredible morning we've already had of worship, of baptisms. Now we're going to hear some things that I hope will be profoundly encouraging to you as we look at God's work around the world. Well, aren't these incredible days in which we are living I mean, these are nuts. Plagues and pandemics and catastrophic forest fires and riots and violence and all kinds of craziness. Might even be tempted to think, are these signs? Are these indications that Jesus is coming again right around the corner? Well, look at these verses that we have right here. We'll be focusing on Matthew chapter 24. And it says in these verses, And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the world will come. Well, I have some good news for us today. Our uh, sermon direction is not about when Jesus is going to come. If you wanted to know my thoughts on that, you should have asked me 40 years ago when I was in seminary. That's when I had all the answers. Uh, Right now, I know far fewer things. But one thing I do know, and that is that the world is not out of control. He is in control. And he is faithful even in the most difficult and challenging times. I hope you are experiencing Jesus' faithfulness these days. Even as David in the Old Testament proclaimed God's presence with him, I hope you feel God's presence in your life. I hope that you are experiencing God's provision. Did you have breakfast this morning? Did you eat yesterday? Well, that's a provision. Did you have a roof over your house last night? It's another provision. I hope you're experiencing God's faithfulness in his protection. How many times do we find ourselves saying, wow, I escaped from that. It may be on the road or it might have just been something dumb that we did. And the Lord protected us. We see God's faithfulness in his answers to prayer. I hope that you keep a list of the answers to prayer that you have. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get discouraged and I have to go back to my journal and say, oh, yeah, look at all of those answers to prayer. Oh, okay, now I can get back on the right track because I see God's faithfulness in answered prayer. And there's also God's faithfulness in filling his promises. And that's what we're going to look at here, particularly here this morning. Some of the promises, including the one right in the middle, I hope you caught it, where it says, and the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony. That is being happened. That is happening now. But it's an ironic thing because here, right in the middle of two chapters, Matthew 24 and 25, that talk all about the bad things that are going to happen, signs of the end times, there's a really good thing. It's a remarkable thing. And that is the way that it is throughout Scripture. When the Bible talks about bad things, there are encouragements. There are positive things. So even as crazy as the world is right now, don't be discouraged. Because the Lord is in the business of doing some phenomenal things. And you need to know about it. And we're going to hear some stories about some of these things. Well, we saw a hint this morning, didn't we? With baptisms already, the nations hearing. We saw another hint two weeks ago when John Cross was here. He's already back in South Sudan with Amy and their kids. But... John was saying, and I hope you caught it if you were here, oh yeah, there are 150 people from one tribe in South Sudan who've just come to faith, and there were 80 people from another tribe who came to faith in Christ. These are signs. They're indications. But now, let's blow out the walls, and let's take a world trip to see what is the Lord doing around the world. 
Well, the year was 1989, and the Russians finally pulled out. The Iron Curtain fell, and Mongolia, for the first time in 60 years, was free from the communist oppression. In 1989, in Mongolia, there were exactly that many known Christians in the country. Four. Four Christians in the country. But something else was afoot. What had happened is that because of the communists having repressed any opportunity for people to have hope, and because Buddhism did not provide hope, the ground had become very fertile so that when missionaries, when various groups, World Vision and others came in, people said, we want to hear the hope, the good news of Jesus Christ. And the church began to grow and grow and grow. I was in Mongolia a couple of years ago. <clears throat> I met with pastors way up on the Russian border in the south, in the capital city of Ulaanbaatar. And at a pastor's conference where I was speaking, I heard from the pastor who was the head of the Mongolian Evangelical Church Association, representing 80% of the countries of the churches in the country. He said, Tori, <clears throat> in the midst of all of this craziness, we now know that there are between 50 and 60,000 Christians. There are at least 2,000, at least 2,000 churches around the country. Where 30 years ago there were none. Now there are 2,000 churches. Where 30 years ago there were four believers, now there are all this great number of churches that are um, developing. We went to see a Mongolian Christian radio station. And a Mongolian Christian radio station network, it's not like 105.3 Spirit FM. Not at all. In the developing world, the Christian radio stations are really quite different. So you'll have 15 minutes of a sermon, by a Mongolian preacher, and then you'll have 15 minutes of public announcements on the benefits of breastfeeding. And then you'll have another little message from a teacher or a preacher, and then you'll have another little um, interlude on something about the best way to grow your vegetables so that your carrots and your tomatoes will do really well. And then you'll hear some music, and then you'll hear something on uh, making sure that you vaccinate your yaks. By the way, just check in. Uh, is everybody vaccinated their yaks here recently? Any yaks that need to be vaccinated? All right, you got, a, got your yaks vaccinated. That's really great. Glad to know that we're up to speed on this. Hey, this is the way Christian radio in the developing world is. That's kind of the way it works. That's the good news from Mongolia. Now let's look at another country that I have found personally to be the most compelling country story I've ever heard. It's the country of Cambodia. If you know anything about Cambodia, you may have heard or seen the movie The Killing Fields. Any of us seen the movie The Killing Fields? Oh yeah, many of us. There were a few Christians back in the 1970s. But in 1977, a man who was just about the devil incarnate named Pol Pot came in with his group called the Khmer Rouge. And in those three years, 1977 to 1979, the Khmer Rouge killed one-third of the population of the nine million people. Probably three million people died. They were wanting to create a workers' paradise, they called it. So anybody who had had any education needed to be killed. Any doctors, any dentists, any teachers, any aid workers needed to be killed, and they did. World Vision was there at that time. There were 270 staff serving in Cambodia. Of those 270, 267 were killed. 99%, only three lived. The church was absolutely decimated. And many of these pastors that you see pictured here who were leading small churches at that time, they were able to escape. They went into refugee camps either in Thailand or in Vietnam. And there they led small groups of believers. But as late as 1990, there may have been only 100 Christians in Cambodia. But things changed. And again, 
things that were never in the news started to happen. The fields were being ripened. The killing fields had become the harvest fields. And the land had been prepared even though blood had been shed upon it. And people were looking for hope and people were open to the good news of Jesus Christ. And the church began to grow. The church is now between 500 and 600,000 people, half a million. Where there were 100 people, now half a million. And many of them are in small churches that would meet in homes, several thousand of them, like what you see pictured right here in these tin shacks. 20 people will meet, and in fact, in this little tin shack, is a woman by the name of Van Tha. I had a fascinating time with Van Tha. She was 40 years old. She had been abandoned by her husband because she became a Christian. She had a daughter. She had a little job, not making much money, but in her little tin shack here, Van Tha met with people, and she was sharing with them just the things that she had learned from her pastor the week prior. She hadn't been to Bible school, she hadn't been to seminary, but Van Tha was willing to share with the people around her the things that she had learned that week. That's all that she did. And Van Tha knew that people in her community there, they, they, were, they were suffering from breakdowns in their family. Marriages were not going well. Families were not going very well. And so she took a class at her church called Celebrating Families on biblical principles for marriage and family and parenting. And so not only did she start this little church in her own house, but she said, you know, up in, up in my village that's 80 kilometers north, 50 miles away, there are no Christians. Nobody up there knows anything about these principles for, for marriage that come from God's word. And so she hops on her moped every weekend, going through busy streets and then through dangerous backcountry roads. And there she shares with her extended family. Every week, there are more. When I talked to her, she said, yeah, there, there, there are a hundred people that gather to, to listen every weekend to the biblical principles that I'm sharing about not only marriage and family and parenting, but other things that I'm learning this past week from my pastor. And then we sing songs to Jesus. They're accepting Jesus. I said, so you're, you're a church planner. She said, I'm not sure I know what a church planner is, but there's a church here and there wasn't a year ago. This is what is going on in Cambodia. And look at this church. This is where a church is meeting underneath a house. There, many homes in Cambodia are on stilts. So you will have uh, a woman pastor like here. 65% of the churches are led by women. And they meet in groups of 10 or 20 or 30. And there they worship Jesus. And they have hope because they have seen that Jesus is faithful and they are faithful to him. Well, let's look at Vietnam. Vietnam is a country that, uh, well, honestly, I was very emotional thinking about going to and working with the church there. You see, I lost a cousin back in the Vietnam War, a cousin named Eric. I had mixed emotions when I went to Vietnam. But I have to say, I have more admiration for the Vietnamese people than perhaps anybody on earth. They are so hardworking. They are so diligent. And despite the restrictions of their communist country, they're doing marvelous things with their country. I talked with a pastor in Hanoi. We'll call him Pastor Tom. And I said, so tell me about life. And he said, well, he laughed. He said, you know, it, it's hard. We get beat up. Uh, those of us who are Christians and Christian leaders, particularly if there's a new uh, political person, if there's a new administrator in the area, they'll beat us up. But then he said, but they will come back to us and they will say, Pastor, we need your help. 
because Vietnam is changing and there's more money coming in. The gross national product is going up. There's more money for drugs and pornography and alcohol and we have a zero tolerance on drugs and so we're putting people in jails and the jails have been filling up and what we see is it's, it's only these people who, who do this Jesus talk thing, who, who, who believe in your Jesus that, that leave prison and, and don't come back. And we see this time and time and time again in prison after prison in Vietnam. So, pastor, would you please come into the national prison and do this Jesus talk? Talk about this Jesus, because we don't want our prisons filled with drug addicts. We want them to get out. Would you do that? And the pastor and the elders who were right there, who I was talking with in a restaurant, said, yeah, this is what's happening. This is what is happening in Vietnam, even while we get beat up. How about China? China was the country that my mom had hoped to be a missionary to when she was a girl and in college, preparing to go. And then 1949 happened, Mao Zedong, the communist swing came in. Everybody thought this is the end of the church in China. The church was only half a million people. It's not very many. Would you care to guess how many Christians there are today in China, the latest estimates? There were half a million then. How many are there today? The latest estimates are 100 million Christians. Friends, we need to look at China in a whole new way. I know it's in the media. I know it's in the news. There's a lot of press about it. There's a lot of things said about China, but China will soon be one of the countries with the most number of Christ followers in the world, and they are paying a price for their faith. Christians are living in difficult circumstances in China, so pray for China. Don't fear China, pray for China, and pray for Christ followers that they might shine brightly in a very restricted context. Well, what about India? India is another country. It's got 1.3 billion people. I was there a few years ago, and I was talking with many of the church leaders, including a leader by the name of uh, Dr. Joseph De Silva. He had recently written a book entitled Dalit Freedom. Dalit is another word for the people called the untouchables. You've heard of the untouchables, no doubt. They're the lowest of, in fact, they're even below the lowest caste. But he said something is remarkable happening these days. Politically, within India, it's tough to be a Christian. It's tough to be a person of another faith. Why is that? Well, there is in power the Hindu nationalist, what is called BJP party. They're making it very difficult to be a Christian. But he says the ground is being opened up because the people across India are saying, wait a minute, this means that only the Brahmin, the top few percent, get all the goodies in life. And then they hear the good news that comes from Galatians 3 when it says, in Christ there is no male, no female, no Greek, no Jew, no slave, nor free. There's no Brahmin, there's no untouchable. We are all one in Christ. And the ground is responding, and the church is growing. And now there are at least known as 60 million Christians in India, and the church is growing quickly. In fact, it is now estimated by missiologists that by the year 2030, India may even surpass America of having the largest number of missionaries being sent out in the world many of them within India to places that are in very dark contexts. But we need to see the world in a different way, that Jesus is faithful even in the hard times. Jesus, when he said that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ will be shared throughout the whole world, that he wasn't kidding and that it's happening and that it's happening in our time right now. Trivia quiz question for us this morning. Which country has the fastest growing church in the world? Anybody know? It's Iran. 
Back in 1979, when Ayatollah Khomeini came into power and the Shah was kicked out, there were only numbers of thousands of Christians in the country at that time. But something began to happen. And now, people are saying that the greatest motivator for people coming to faith in Jesus Christ was Ayatollah Khomeini, because people have seen over these last decades nothing in Islam except hatred and division and poverty and discord and nothing that is positive. And even some of the huge mosques that we saw on national and world television filled with people decades ago, they're now largely empty. People are not going to those big mosques right now. But what is happening is that there are thousands of house churches. And out of Iran's 82 million people, perhaps one million are now following Jesus Christ. More than in the entire 2,000 years of Iran's history since Jesus Christ walked on earth. One more example. This one is from an Islamic Republic. <clears throat> we'll call it just that. I had the privilege of being the national director in this Islamic Republic briefly a number of years ago. In 1985, there were zero Christians in that country. And in fact, according to everybody who knew, there had been no evidence that there had ever been Christ followers in that geographical area since Jesus walked on earth for 2,000 years. But something happened in that time. Christian organizations, World Vision, others came in. They, they, they served, they gave, they, they brought in the food trucks, and they kept hundreds of thousands of people alive. In fact, people who were on the desperate point of death in that what was called Sahel drought of the mid-80s, they had food and they responded. And not only were their lives saved, but they came to the Christians and they said, why is it that you Christians get along better, even though you come from different languages and different countries than we do? And we're all locals and we all speak the same language. That was a question provoked to which Jesus is the answer. And the answer is Jesus brought us together. And we love you. We're so happy that we get to be here. Yes, we know it's one of the hottest places in the face of the earth. Yes, we know that it's dirt poor. Yes, we know that there are risks to our health. Yes, we know that there are political dangers. Yes, we know that people get shot. But we're so happy to be here because Jesus has given us a love for you in this Islamic Republic. And I remember hearing when there were first a handful of Christ followers. And then I remember hearing when there were 25 Christ followers in this Islamic Republic. And then we heard that there were 50, and then 100, and then 250, and 500, and 1,000, and 2,000. And the church is growing in this Islamic Republic because Christians are there to serve. So friends, I ask a question. How is it that the church will grow in a difficult time like this, in a difficult place like this? And the answer is, it grows there in the same way that it grows on our streets, on your street and neighborhood and mine. When committed Christians say, Lord, I can't do this by myself, but I know you love people around me, so I'm going to serve, I'm going to go, I'm going to meet whatever needs I can, I'm, I'm, I'm going to humble myself, I'm going to humble myself. And I'm going to ask how I can help, and I'm going to sacrifice I want to pray. Oh, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that questions will be provoked to which Jesus is the answer. And when they are, I'm going to courageously step up. And I'm going to say, my life's different. And your life can be too because of Jesus. That's the principle in this country. And that's the principle anywhere around the world. I remember meeting with 
little groups of Christians in this country. I'd go late at night after the sun had gone down so nobody would see us, or early, early in the morning before the sun came up. I went to encourage them. <laughs> they encouraged me. Never forget one conversation in which they said, Tori, we want you to know that we are praying for you and for the Christians in America. Kind of took me back, and I said, uh, well, thank you, but why are you praying for Christians in America? Here is what they said. We are praying for you Christians in America because we know that it is hard to be faithful to Jesus when life is comfortable. And when the expectation is that following Jesus will be comfortable. Gasp. They are praying for us because life is maybe too comfortable in our faithfulness to Jesus right here. Jesus is not only faithful to his word, to his promise of spreading the gospel around the world before he comes, but he has called us to be faithful. And in these verses, we see this. Therefore, you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. In these few short verses, we learned a few really important truths. The first is that Jesus may come when we least expect it. Do we know when he's going to come? No. Jesus could come today. He could come in a thousand years. But what we do know is that today is closer than yesterday was and that he could come at any time. That's a promise because every one of his other promises have been fulfilled and Jesus rose from the dead, underscoring the fact that he does keep his promises, even promises of life and of death. We also see in these verses that those who are faithful when Christ's return will be blessed. Do you want to be blessed? I don't mean a little blessing or a medium-sized blessing. Do you want to be blessed for all eternity? For all time? This is what is on offer. And we also see in these verses a little definition or a description of who it is that will be rewarded. If somebody were to ask you, in the middle of difficult times, following Jesus, who does Jesus think is the faithful and wise servant? What would you say? Oh, that's the gal that goes to church, or that's the guy that reads his Bible every day. Those are good things. Would you say, well, it's the person that has memorized a lot of scripture, or it's the person that is nice to his neighbors. Those are all good things too. But look what these verses say right here. It says <clears throat> that not that the person is the person who in the middle of the difficult times when the pressure is on, the heat is there, is cowering in the corner, is afraid, is obsessing about the latest news report from CNN or Fox or any place else they get their news. That's not the person. It is the person who is faithful and who is giving food and doing what the master has asked them to do. They're going about their ordinary lives. They're going about the ordinary work and responsibilities that God has given them to do today, not living in fear. So if they are a mom, they're feeding their kids. If they are somebody who's helping with food at the middle school locally, it's feeding them. If it's a boss or a supervisor, it's making sure that people are being paid in salaries. But in the next chapter, Jesus begins to expand this definition because this chapter and the next, Matthew 24 and 25, it's all one message that Jesus gave about the end times. And he begins to expand it. And in that passage, he says, the people that we are to serve are the hungry and the thirsty and the stranger and the naked and the sick 
and those in prison. And many will come to him on that day and say, Father, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and thirsty and in prison and sick and naked? And he will say, inasmuch as you did this to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Who are the least of our brothers around us right now? These are the people that we have the opportunity to be faithful to and with. Not only around the world, but here at Grace. You see, even though we need to wear our masks, we can show our true faces of generosity and hospitality and care and love for people on our street and in Auburn and around us. Even though we need to physically distance, it is not the time to socially isolate. We can lean in. We can serve through the food banks and to those that are around us. If we pray and say, Lord, how can we do it? We can make that call. We can reach out to somebody online. We can serve the widows and the orphans and the needy and the people who have so much less than we do. Friends, I am so proud of Grace Community Church and the way that we are responding through Grace Loves Auburn. It's a remarkable outreach. Did you know that every week, not only does the good news of Jesus Christ go out to several thousand people and many thousand around the world, but also that world, or that Grace Community Church serves 40 international partners, missionaries and others who are serving around the world. And many through this church, this ministry, are serving ministries like World Vision, who are the front line of caring for people in the world's most difficult and fragile and hostile environments. I asked a week or two ago for some of the statistics about how many people are being served through Grace Loves Auburn right here. A day later, I got some of the statistics, and these things are happening regularly. But at the last Grace Loves Auburn event that took place in this room and in this facility, 129 families were served, 850 food boxes were given out, 850 gallons of milk, 700 dozen cartons of eggs, and tons of bread. This is happening regularly through you, through this church, not only financially, but as you are volunteering, as you're working in the food banks in Auburn and in other communities around here, you are giving generously. This is what your money goes to. Have you ever wondered, so where does my money go to and why really should I be a part of a church? Well, why don't I just hang out in my little uh, life group, small group Bible study, or forget all of that. Why don't I just be a Christian all by myself? Here is part of the answer. Because when we work together, we get to reach not just one person. We get to come out of the silos that so often will enslave our thinking. And we get to look at the whole community. And we get to serve thousands of people who are served by this church in this community this year. That's what we get to do because you are faithful in giving and in praying and in volunteering. That is what this church is about. It's always been about that, and by God's help, it is what it always will be about. But I have to further expand our horizon and say, it's not only Auburn and the South Sound. These days in the pandemic of COVID, around the world, the needs have gotten worse than ever before. Working at World Vision, <clears throat> being a part of the development work that happens in about 100 countries around the world, we monitor very carefully some of these development metrics, these indicators. Over the last 20 years, so much positive has happened. More people have food and water and health and education and get to go to school. So much of that has gone this way during the course of this past year of the COVID pandemic. I was talking to our regional vice president of Africa a few months ago, and he said, Tori, you wouldn't believe it. There are now millions of people who are hungry. And in India alone, there are tens of millions of what are called day workers, people that just get enough money for the day, 
who do not have work. They've been sent back to their villages. Hunger is severe. So we have the opportunity to give. But you know, the Lord says he loves a cheerful giver. So we give hilariously. It's not that we are compelled to give. It's that we get to give. It's that we get to be involved in the things that are close to the heart of God. We want our hearts to be broken by the things that break the heart of God. We want our hearts to be happy by the things that make happy the heart of God. And our faithfulness will bring accommodation and joy and more opportunity. Look at these verses. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Do you notice how often the word faithful shows up? Jesus was faithful. He asks us to be faithful. I love the words of Mother Teresa. Look at the picture of Mother Teresa and hear her words. I believe they are Jesus's words. God does not demand that I be successful. God demands that I be faithful. Little things may seem so unimportant, but to be faithful in little things is a great thing. Be faithful in the little things. In them lies our strength. And to God, nothing is little. Find your own Calcutta. Find the sick, the suffering, and the lonely right there where you are. We, as Christ followers, get to invest ourselves, our lives, our resources, our energies in the things that will last forever. Do you know what will last forever? Scripture says that there are only two things that will last forever, people and God's word, and we are investing in both. It's not just an investment that will last until the next economic bubble bursts. It's not just an investment with an IRA or something that'll last for 10 or 20 or 50 years, we get to invest in eternity and we will be reaping dividends a hundred billion billion years from now because Jesus has been faithful and he calls us into the joy, not the obligation, never see it as an obligation, but as the joy of giving to the things that are pleasing him. Often, we do not get to see the influence of our lives. I mean, very few of us are like George Bailey in The Wonderful Life, who, when he was just about ready to jump off the bridge, had Clarence, the angel, come and say, no, no, I want you to see what life is like without you having been in it. Very few of us have that kind of experience that Jimmy Stewart had in that famous movie. But once in a while, we get a glimpse. And I want to share with us a story that I've been waiting to tell this congregation for 18 years. The year was 2002. I was the national director in Senegal, West Africa. The country is 93% Muslim. World Vision had been there providing uh, 600 wells and bringing fresh water to all of these hundreds of thousands of people. And food and health and education and resources were being provided in that place. But we didn't feel like it was enough because we were not able to see in clear ways the church growing and the good news of Jesus Christ expanded to all of the tribes of that country. And so we all gathered, we sat around people from 17 different churches and groups. We met at my office, we came together and we planned something. It was sort of like a state fair. And we called it Project Jericho. And in Project Jericho, which you might call a medical, dental, public health, feeding everybody, Jesus film, evangelistic outreach, 
we decided to go into a certain community and to serve everybody there for three days. And so Project Jericho started that year. There were 5,000 people, mostly Muslims, that came. We'll never forget it. There they were, long lines of people coming to get food. There was the place over there where the doctors were seeing people. Here there were places where the dentists were seeing people. But over here, there's an even longer line. That is where people were lining up to be prayed for because they had heard from person after person coming out that one person had been lame and, and now they're able to walk. One 82-year-old man and another woman who had had emphysema all of her life. Now she was able to breathe, person after person. And during the days, local evangelists in local languages were, were speaking the good news about Jesus Christ. And at night, we were showing the Jesus film and other outreaches to these people. And people were responding. And by the hundreds of people over the next numbers of years, Muslims were coming to faith in Christ. We'll never forget the time when Kim and I and our three kids went to a baptism of so many, 18 of them at one time, in this village. And there, people were being dunked. And what were they being dunked in? Not in something as beautiful and attractive as that. It was in an animal cistern. It's where the animals would come and get their water. But before they went down, they were sharing their testimony. They were saying, for all of my life, I have lived in fear. I never knew as a Muslim that I would ever be able to go to heaven because Islam doesn't give you any certainty of heaven. But now that I have trusted in Jesus, now that I know that because he, through his finished work, his atoning work on the cross, died for me, I know that I can have the certainty and security of heaven. I know that I'm ready to live and I know that I'm ready to die. So baptize me. Person after person after person was giving their testimony. And there we watched with our tears rolling down our eyes, seeing the transformed lives in this village and in the years that came, other villages and then other countries of West Africa started to use this approach called Project Jericho of meeting thousands of people, Muslims and Christians, bringing them together, serving them and bringing all the church work together and Christian agencies. I talked to one of the missionaries, a woman by the name of Mary Ann Latin. And I said, Mary Ann, how did we happen to choose this center in this little town of Dunkel, here in central Senegal, to have the first Project Jericho? She said, well, it's really very easy. We have a beautiful building here that was built actually back in 1988 and in 1989 because of the help of four American couples that came and, and they helped us build this. And it seemed like the natural venue for holding something like this. I said, that's, that's great. Where did they come from? She said, they came from the Pacific Northwest. I said, well, I've never been to the Pacific Northwest. That was true at that time in my life. But I said, where? From the state of Washington, she said, from the town of Auburn. These four couples came from a church that sponsors and supports me called Grace Community Church. Those four couples are the Taylors, the Brands, the Kinvilles, and the Olgates. And they came and they served they weren't looking for attention, but they came generously and they gave, they volunteered, they gave their skills, their abilities, and look what has happened, a ripple effect of service and the name of Jesus Christ is being lifted up in Senegal because of the quiet faithfulness of poor people, four couples from this church. Sometimes we do get a little indication, but what will it be like in heaven when we get to see all of the story, all of the effect of your life, the ripple effect 
all around your community and with your friends and families and around the world because of your faithfulness in volunteering, in giving, in generosity, and in serving and in praying. We will one day get to see it. In 1988, Ginny Gannon, from this church went. She went to help. Back then it was with a typewriter. She was typing to help with the Bible translation process. I've heard that Ginny may be hearing, may be listening this morning. Ginny, if you are, we know that you are older now. But I want to tell you that the work that you've done is prospering. The Bible has been translated. Versions are going out. Languages of Scripture are now spread throughout Senegal. There's work to be done, but so much work has been done. Thank you for your faithfulness. You didn't go to get attention, but it's a snapshot of what happens when we cast our bread upon the waters and we see what happens later on when we have a little indication. A number of us, a number of you, went to Senegal in 2004 and in 2007, you went to work with Marianne Latin, with other missionaries. There weren't very many Christians at that time. And what you did is you went to build a basketball court. What an interesting thing. You went to work with a Christian ministry called Sports Friends that reaches out to youth and to people through sports and athletics. You met with a local church. It was a very small church at that time. But look at it today. This picture was taken four weeks ago. Now there's not one small church. There are five churches. You cast your bread upon the waters. Flash forward these years. This is what is happening in Senegal. God commends you, and one day he will commend you for all that you have done. We will get to see all that we have done. What you see before you here this morning is the wreck of a guy that used to be a runner. When I was a young guy, high school, college, and thereafter, I used to love to run. I would run long distances. I was on the cross-country team and on the track team. I used to love it. <clears throat> I can't run now because of my knees. Can't run on hard surfaces. But I still love to watch the marathons. The marathon is my favorite event. I love to watch the Olympic marathon. No doubt you have seen it. We'll have another Olympic marathon coming up in a few months this summer. So you watch the Olympic marathon. <clears throat> Maybe you have. It starts with a crack of the gun and the best racers in the world take off. Off they go on a 27 plus mile marathon. They go up Heartbreak Hills and they come down. They go through streets and when they start, there are not very many people, only one or two deep that are cheering them on. But as they go deeper, it gets harder. Five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles, 20 miles. The numbers of people are now four abreast, five abreast, six abreast. They're cheering them on. They're cheering them on. And then with the helicopter up above following the leaders, they come to a point with only a mile or two to go when they're only that distance from the giant stadium. And the announcers say they can now begin to hear the roar of the crowd in the stadium. And 75,000 people are standing on their feet. They're thundering of applause. They're cheering. They know that perhaps a, a new world record will be met that day. There will be the gold and the silver and the bronze medals and people will be streaming across and people can see it in the stadium on the giant television. And as these runners are running, they are running with everything that they have for the medal and finally to come into the site of the stadium to run in to do the final victory lap and then to cross the line to win the praise, to win the medals. And brothers and sisters, I submit to us this morning that that is nothing but a vague shadow 
of the great race that you and I are in. And one day we're going to cross that finish line in the race that we are in. And we are going to see Jesus at the finish line. And he's going to say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've run the race. As the author of Hebrews said, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us let us run with perseverance, with faithfulness, the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you and I will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, we live in crazy times. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't even know what's going to happen this week. But we do know who holds the future. We do know that things are not out of control, that he's in control, and that Jesus has been faithful by his example, by his promises, by his presence, by his provision for us, by his protection for us. Now, it's our turn. Let's be faithful to Jesus in this day. Heavenly Father, we have heard your word and we have seen the brilliant examples of people who are living for you around the world. And we have seen how you are faithful to your promise that before you come again, even in the midst of difficult times, people from all nations and all tribes will hear you and will follow you. Father, help us to be faithful, faithful in believing that you are a rewarder of all who seek you and who live their lives for you. Lord, help us to be faithful in serving the hungry and doing our jobs faithfully. Lord, keep us from obsessing. Keep us from fear. Keep us from running or from cowering. May we be bold as well as humble Christians, living for Jesus in a dark world in a scary time. Father, we look to you. You've been faithful. Help us to be your faithful sons and daughters this week and wherever you put us. In Jesus' name, amen. Yo, subscribe to the YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel. <laughs>